0: This season of Life on a Plate is sponsored by BART Ingredients, whose extensive range of quality herbs, spices, seasonings and pastes are all available at Waitrose. BART offers so many simple, delicious ways to elevate your cooking. From aromatic whole spices to handy blends and pastes such as Ra's El Hanout or black garlic paste, they'll help you build incredible depth of flavour and create beautiful dishes What's more, with over 50 years of experience working with producers all over the globe, Bart guarantee their ingredients are grown and harvested responsibly with care for people and the planet. So whether you're just starting out on your cooking journey or you're, forgive the pun, a seasoned chef, you can relax and trust Bart to open up a world of exciting flavour. Go to Waitrose.com forward slash Bart to discover the range. Hello and welcome to the second season of Life on a Plate, the podcast from Waitrose. In each episode, we talk to some very special people about what food means to them, asking about their comfort foods and favourite dishes, their food memories and go-to ingredients, and finding out a lot more about each of our guests in the process. Alison, hello, how are you?
1: Hey, I'm alright, thank you. How about you? How are you?
0: I am pretty... Good. But I want to know from you what's been going on in your world food wise this week, or just generally what's going on? Just
1: generally. Do you know what? Yesterday I had a really good chat with a, a friend of mine who I work with. He has come up with a brilliant idea. He's got two daughters that he cooks with the whole time. Yeah. And he has got this leather notebook that he's had engraved with two of the phrases that they, they always say when they're cooking.
0: Oh, amazing. And he's
1: just starting this collection of their favorite recipes now, which I just thought I thought is a really lovely kind of idea yes. just to do now and it'll become a family heirloom and something that the girls yeah. and it did make me think it'd be kind of something do you do you write recipes down from your mom or-
0: yeah no that is a really really good idea and committing it to something mm. that's kind of a beautiful kind of monument and setting these things down it's definitely something that I've been really aware of um, particularly with my mom and yeah. my kids and those Nigerian recipes that are the food that I grew up on and my kids now love, you yeah. know, they jollof rice is one of the few ways to get nutrients into the four-year-old. Um, and so, yeah, I, I did something similar. I got my mum a, uh, yeah, like a, a notebook and to try and set some of these things down because they just, they just live in the ether or they live through us. don't they? Yeah. They, they, they just
1: cooked without, on by instinct without, without committing quantities and that down. If you don't.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, are there things that you cook or do a certain way in the kitchen that are kind of hand-me-downs from people you've known, like sort of people talk about heirloom recipes and things like that. Are there any things that you can think well, of? Well,
1: I was really lucky that, you know, I have got a collection of handwritten kind of recipes. They're mostly cakes from both sets of grandmothers. And mm. I think there might even be a great grandmother recipe in there too. Mm. There's a lot of date and walnut cake, but <laughs> they all seem to do the same cake, but there's like Nan's boiled fruit cake. And actually, um, my lemon drizzle is based on a version of oh. one that my Nan's friend used to cook. And that was in the notebook too. Yeah, so yeah, um, yeah there's, there's recipes that you just do the whole time. Although mum's beef stroganoff, I think, will always be the best because she doesn't actually write down the quantities of... You know, the dry (laughs) sherry that she puts in because it's always a generous glug, but yeah, it's good.
0: Yes. Well, yeah, my, for me, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely the same sorts of things. And it's, and it's got that cultural, um, mix as well. And so, you know, I've got things that I've got from like my wife's side and brought in, like, you know, I'll never have a boiled egg. Uh, and soldiers without a little pile of salt and pepper on the side and that's something I've adopted that comes from like my wife's family and every time I do it I think of that and it's really nice to have those kind of links across the generations and through different cultures and actually that is not the most obvious of links but it does actually tie in quite nicely with our guest today who is Johanna Konta who is the British women's number one tennis player. And she has got the kind of cultural mix that we're talking about. She was born in Sydney in Australia. She moved to the UK at a young age, at the age of 14 and represents Britain. Her parents are Hungarian. So she's got that really fascinating mix of different cultures. And that's something that that I'm looking forward to uh, finding out a bit more about.
1: But also, if you're not into tennis, you might also recognise her from when she was on the Celebrity Great British Bake Off Stand Up to Cancer last year. So I'm really looking forward to talking to her about her baking and uh Just know how she eats it and stays an athlete.
0: Yeah, completely. I'm sort of trying to. Hopefully, I won't just badger her about kind of serving tips (laughs) for like a lot of it because I really (laughs) do. I'm a sort of like want to get better uh, on the court. Do I'm an enthusiastic but quite hapless tennis player. So I kind of really want to know about that. But I think there's something psychologically fascinating about tennis players. They seem so emotionally robust and able to withstand this unbelievable pressure particularly in Johanna's case when you know she's on centre court at Wimbledon and the nation's hopes are on her shoulders so I really want to know more about what it's like to uh to have that to have that kind of looming and to handle it as brilliantly as she does
1: it's gonna be fascinating
0: definitely so here is our conversation with Johanna Konta. Johanna, thank you so much for doing this. Lovely to be introduced to you. No,
2: thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on here.
0: <laughs> well, I wanted to start off, and I think you're in the right place because I looked on your Instagram and your bio is family first, food second.
2: Yes, close second.
0: <laughs> food close second, which is brilliant. You'll fit in well with us on this podcast. Is that how you feel? Is that is food that important and vital in your life?
2: It is. I mean, I think, you know, at home with the, with my partner, we talk a lot about kind of our differences with food and he kind of he describes himself, he kind of eats to survive and kind of just to live, whereas I live to eat. <laughs> so oh, you know, I, I I love food and and it's been really interesting for me, I guess, through through my my profession as a professional athlete, I've had to also find different relationships with food. Sometimes it's for fuel, but sometimes it really is for enjoyment. I, I get a lot of enjoyment from good food, from making good food, from ordering good food, from, yeah. So I just, I, I get a lot of enjoyment from food.
0: <laughs> yeah. that That is interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose people would assume because of your illustrious tennis career and being an elite athlete right at the top of your game that it would you'd be the one that saw it as fuel and just something that you kind of needed and a means to an end but it's it's all these things for you it's enjoyment and it's uh, creativity no and, for
2: sure uh, and it's at different times I, I think different times in, in my day or in my weeks depending on what I'm doing it, it takes on different roles but for sure sometimes it is it is fuel sometimes I have to eat for what I'm doing in the day um, but then I because I do have such a, a love for food I do I do try to find those moments where I can just enjoy what I'm eating even in in, in a way that I know is still good for me and I know I'm, I'm still doing the right things that what I need from but there's no reason why I can't enjoy what I'm eating as well. So yeah.
1: <laughs> Have you got any examples of any food that is fuel, but it's still something you'll enjoy eating? Um, I mean, I think it it depends
2: on what I'm doing. But for example, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say that pizza is a massively. Mm-hmm good for you food. (laughs) Like, you know, it's a question, but it's good for the soul. Um, But Mm. I do know sometimes when I've had a really big day um, and I've had, you know, I've burnt a lot of calories. I'm like, you know what? I'm really going to enjoy this pizza. I, I'm really going to enjoy this pizza. And so um, that, that sometimes does happen. Um, But then I always, I always like them putting it with a salad. I always like adding some greens to it. I don't know. I, I, I find, I find I need colour in my food. Um I I like having colourful food. So um that's an important part for me. So whenever I do have a pizza, I like having a salad with it. Or whenever I do have something, I like having some green. (laughs) Like it makes me I feel like I'm balancing things out.
0: (laughs) You mentioned there about having a, a bit of balance and having some healthy stuff next to it, which I think is definitely a good approach. Has that always
2: been the case? Um, you know, I think I, I have an interesting mix when it comes to food. I mean, obviously, mm. I think food habits are very much cultivated in your in your immediate surroundings when you're young. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes through your parents and in, in the environment that you grow up in. Um, and so, in that sense, I was very lucky because um, both my parents, but especially my mum, she, she was always very in touch with. Uh, a holistic way of eating. Um, she worked as a holistic dentist. So she was always very much in touch with nutrition and things like that. And so I was the kid that went to school with a, you know, carrot stick, celery sticks, a tuna tuna <laughs> and, and some rye bread. That was me. And, you know, looking, looking at the time, I, you know, I would look at the kids next to me who had their Nutella sandwiches and, and the packet of crisps. And I was like, oh, I really like what, <laughs> Mother Tina tuna, <laughs> and you know what now, looking back on it i 'm very grateful for that because I do feel mm. it did give me a very um solid base in it, and it it created habits for me, which I still revert back to, obviously, another big thing with food is um weather, its environment, and I did spend my childhood my young my young years in Australia, mm-hmm. and so yeah. I think the weather also very much influences how we eat. Um, so because it was hot, it was, um, generally very good, you know, very good weather. Mm-hmm. You do tend to look for lighter foods, not so heavy foods, you know, you eat for the environment that you're in. And so I think the combination of that, I think has given me a good roadmap as I've gotten older, um, you know, as I, as I've, uh, as I've, I guess, broadened my horizons in, in when I do eat not so, not so well, I do generally <laughs> revert back to good habits because of my parents.
0: Yeah. You had a really good early education. Um, (laughs) You mentioned growing up the early part of your life Spent in Australia, um, and your parents are Hungarian. Yes, is, is yes. that right? So yes, yeah. Did that come into play in any way?
2: For sure. I mean, I love Hungarian food, but as you can imagine, Hungarian food and kind of I would say the general cuisine in, in Australia is very, very mm. different. Hungarian food is very yes, polar opposite. Well, it's very <laughs> European food in the sense that even like English food can be in some way. It's you know, it's it's heavy. It's 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 meat. It's potatoes. It's it's just you know what let's pack in the calories and let's hibernate yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know it's um it's that kind of of um, of food really but it, it's very nostalgic for me. It's what I would eat when I would go back to Hungary as a young girl. Okay. Um, it's what my grandmother would cook. It's, it's every time when I get the chance. I mean, obviously, I haven't been for almost two years because of what's happened in the world. But before that, I'd go back kind of every once a year and I'd be like, OK, I want uh, my sadly, my grandparents are no longer alive. But I, I would go to the restaurants. I'm like, yeah, I, I want hungarian cooked meals and i usually go in november which is my pre-season so i'm like perfect like i'm 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 resting i'm i'm Literally, let's pack in the calories. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think I definitely had that combination of of Hungarian food, obviously. Um, but then growing up in Australia when I was a young girl, and then my, you know, and then just the general influences from my parents as well. But one thing that my mum very much regretted was uh, when uh, my mum's uh, my dad's mum came over. That was the first time I uh, I discovered what gummy bears were and what sweets were. Oh, <laughs> that's that, that's the that's I think the normal introduction of when grandparents come. It's like
1: that's when you. That,
0: they can always be relied upon when the you grandparents. Know the, that's how you know
1: the good stuff. And I guess as a dentist, that didn't go down well at all. Well, I think in all, in all,
2: just all forms, it was like, oh no, I've worked so hard with the carrot sticks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Hungarian food, what kind of things are we talking about? You mentioned a few things there. Are they, are they?
2: So it is, it is very um, meat and Cut, yeah meat and potato based meat and carb based i think very much so um but I, what I noticed in Hungarian food as well i mean we have a lot of stews, yeah. we have a lot of mm. um uh like um Stews and like pork knuckles, like uh, mm. um, in the like meats in the oven and things like that. We have a lot of soups, a lot of different kind of soups, like yeah. goulash soup and oh, yeah. um, right, things of like course, that. Yeah. Um, dumplings like pierrot Yeah, you know. d- dumplings. Yeah, you do get dumplings there as well for sure. Um, you get a lot like stuffed cabbages or stuffed peppers or like things like that as well. Um, but one thing that I I found there, which I think has been interesting with with my partner who's English um, is whenever we have a heavy meal, we always have something light on the side. So you always have like a cucumber salad or a, a cabbage salad or something that's a bit tart, a bit light. And so I've noticed that whenever I eat kind of heavier meals or whenever I have a meat and potato, I always, I always have to have a salad. And I remember, um, when, uh, my partner, and we started living together, he was always like, why do we have to have a salad with this? Or why do we have to, I'm like, why would you not have a yeah. salad with it? I mean, where do you get the freshness? I mean, you need the freshness to keep going.
1: I guess it's those foundations that your mum laid down. It's kind of getting that balance right. Yes,
2: but even in, like when we just make some steak and do some roast potatoes at home, I'm like, I need to have a salad mm-hmm. with it. I can't just have a you know, steak and some potatoes. Like, I need a salad. I need, I need that kind of, literally, that freshness to keep going. Mm. Otherwise, I'm like, this is too much. I can't handle not this. not just I need steak and salad. chips. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Do you do yes. much of the um, cooking at home? Do you cook Hungarian or do you just wait until November when you go and visit? I
2: haven't yet ventured into the into my my Hungarian roots of cooking yet. Mm-hmm. I, I had my aunt visit me a few years ago and she gave me a few recipes, which I have, uh, I have written down just for chicken noodle soup and for um, making círka uh, pörköt, which is basically like a chicken... Um, a chicken stew, like a paprika chicken stew um, With like little Nokedli, which is called, which is basically Almost like gnocchi, but not made out of potato They're not made out of potato So it's more of a flour based pasta Essentially, yep. but they're mm. more Like little little dumplings essentially Yay. That's what they look like, right. like, like yeah. Um, yeah. But I haven't, and, and also apple Apple pie, nice. like a Hungarian version Of apple pie, um, but yeah But I haven't yet ventured to to Make it yet um, I think, you know, I, I moved out of home for the first time back in 2017. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, I kind of unleashed myself on, on my own kitchen. Um, and to be honest, actually what really opened my eyes to cooking and, and the, the really in, enjoying the process of cooking, of buying ingredients, of, of setting up, of going through the whole method um, was actually, funny enough, through the Waitrose magazine. So brilliant. <laughs> I, yeah, so where I live, and I, I've got actually two folders at home, and I can send you photos of this, of like I've, I've, I've been collecting the Waitrose magazines for years now, since 2017, That's since I've, I've lived. And so I keep, I keep all the recipes that I love and so you know every every month I get them, I'm like no 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 yeah yeah no like that like they're making that I'm making that and you know I, I one thing I'm very excited about is when I'll have the time and when I'll have lots of children to cook for you know, I'm gonna make that one day I'm gonna make that one day so the stuff I've made and the stuff I, that I, I'm going to make one day
0: You mentioned 2017, and that seems like it was quite a pivotal year for you, not just in terms of getting your own place and that independence and this cooking journey that you were going on, but in terms of Wimbledon and tennis, um, what are your memories of, of that year and the place that cooking and food had in that?
2: Yeah, I think 2017 was was kind of my my second year on, on the main tour, but like I think that's when I... I had a very consistent year as well, kind of in the beginning, middle of that year. And obviously that was the the, time, the year I made semis of Wimbledon. And that was the first time I was able to play Wimbledon and actually be at home as well. And that was the beginning of my journey and unleashing myself onto the kitchen. <laughs> and <laughs> I originally actually started with baking. So you'll see me, there's probably still photos around of me arriving at Wimbledon kind of every morning with like this, you know, box of muffins. And I mean... I felt, I felt, you know, in hindsight, I felt very bad from the team I had the, at the time because they they were just constantly like being forced to try muffins that I was making because I was constantly like wanting to like do different flavors and I'm like I'm really enjoying this, I'm ha- I'm having a nibble here and there on it, but you know I don't I don't really want to like eat that many muffins I'm like here eat muffins eat muffins (laughs) so I don't even know if they liked muffins but um, (laughs) but yeah I mean you know I think it was really nice for me to be able to have that experience of doing well at the biggest tournament you know for for British players for me in the season Um, but to also be at home and come home that was a really nice experience and, and to just have Um, A home-cooked meal to be able to bake because I wanted to bake. It it was a very um, grounding experience to have in a Mm -hmm. very, I would say, you know, not a, it's in a very bubble environment, you know, playing elite sport or playing these big events, they get very taken out of context. It's very big when at the end of the day, I still go home and I still just bake a batch of muffins, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, (laughs) it's, it's it's quite a polar opposite experience,
1: (laughs) So tell us, in Wimbledon, when we see you coming out onto the court with that massive bag, what is in the bag? What do you need? And and also what's gone on in the weeks and the months before that so that you are really at that peak?
2: I do think as I've gotten older, my bags have gotten a bit smaller. <laughs> when you're at these big events, you generally get a locker. So I try to not lug all my stuff everywhere, <laughs> to be honest. You know, I try to put them in there. Um, but generally, I do keep all my foam roller bands things like that that I need for my Mm warm-ups that is that usually I I have with me and then otherwise in 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 my tennis bag I don't know if you've seen the latest one that I've been carrying but it's it's actually really I'm really proud of it. it's really cool it's it's (laughs) Bradley made this tennis bag for me and in there I usually have my rackets um I have some string um I have my drinks that I usually have for the for the match um and it's going to be quite funny, but I have a teddy bear in there. Is <laughs> that oh, <laughs> um, a, exactly, a lucky mascot or something? It's not a superstitious mascot. It's just a teddy bear that has lived in my bag ever since I was 11 years old when I went away at the time we were still living in Australia. And at that time, I went away with a, a group of, um, like a kind of a, a group of us at the time to europe to play some tournaments and it was a long trip i think uh, for me at that age i think it was about a four week trip four or five week trip and my parents took me to i think it was called like the teddy bear factory or something like that where you could build you know build a bear like something like that so i built a bear um and in its <laughs> arm was a little voice recorder with their voices oh. in there um, Amazing. I mean, this bear is, you know, now like, I mean, it's, it's coming up to
0: two. <laughs> it just two, looks come, a little bit yeah, worse for wear. It's come,
2: you know what? It doesn't look bad. It looks in great mm-hmm. condition, um, but it is coming up to two decades. Yeah. And um, <laughs> the voice recorder doesn't work anymore, but it's just always lived in my bag. So, yes, when you see that bag it's got a teddy bear have had it. on court you know that there's a teddy
0: bear in there. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the bubble and the kind of heightened atmosphere and the scrutiny, and it seems particularly magnified in tennis and also in Britain when it's Wimbledon, um, and you as uh, this great hope for British tennis fans, and there's such focus. How... Did you deal with that? I mean, you baked, but was it a surprise to you how intense it was and how full on it was?
2: You know what, interestingly, I think for me, the way I lived that year is it was surprising to me how relaxing it was. And I do Mm. think a big part of that was because I was able to be at home. And so Mm. as soon as I left the venue, I, I I would get in my car and I would listen to music and I would just be driving home. And I'd get home, I'd close the door, I wasn't really turning on the news. I, we, you know, we don't get papers delivered. Um, it was, it was, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, was, I would turn on, I probably was watching like The Mentalist or something, you know, on TV. <laughs> like, you know, it was, it was very, very um, normal. And, and so because of that, I think I, I did experience it in a very relaxed way, which was surprising to me. But interestingly, ever you know, even in the years since, um, I made quarters in, in 2019, you know, so I was there again for for a longer period of time. It was the same kind of experience, I think, just because I I am able to be at home. It's a very different experience than playing at the US Open or Australian mm. Open or the French Open, even though I, I have quite nice setups there as well. I mean, in the US you stay at a hotel, mm. but in the other ones I've been able to stay at, at apartments and things like that to try and um, create that kind of feeling. Wimbledon is very special because it is my home and especially now I have two dogs as well Mm. so it 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 really is like I just go back to my own little family
1: (laughs) (laughs) when you're traveling do you have much opportunity to eat locally or for sure I mean I I would love and especially as I got older I
2: I definitely took more interest and and felt more relaxed and more um, showing myself to go try different things to um, discover new restaurants to write down a list and you know I, I want to try these places and and, and book tables and, and so I, I kind of invested more time into that because I knew it gave me energy it, it would it would pay it back to me because it was something that I enjoyed so 100% I mean I, I remember actually I think probably my most adventurous of tournaments was uh, was um, the US Open in 2019. I I tried so many different restaurants, um, you know, that, that trip. And I was actually really looking forward to that in 2020, which obviously mm. didn't happen. Um, but I'm holding out. So maybe 2021, <laughs> if not maybe 2022.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Do you find that over the years, you go back to the same old favourites in different cities around the world? For sure. I think I definitely,
2: um, you know, I, I develop a like kind of like a basis and i always try to add to it but 100 i am a creature of habit Mm -hmm. so i i have no problem with with eating the same thing lots and lots of times because i'm like you know it's good i like it i enjoy it (laughs) um but i think obviously as i got older i definitely try to add some variation try new things and add new restaurants but 100 i i always pay homage to uh to the things that have done good by me
0: so when you're on tour when you're training how regimented is it what sort of things are you eating what sort of things can you eat how much room is there to have a glass of wine at some point or eat some cake
2: you know i think what's really important to keep in mind for me is what have i done that day or what am i preparing to do that day so I think when I have a general understanding of of how tough a day am I uh, am I anticipating mm-hmm. am I training that day if I am training how many hours am I training what am I planning to do in the gym but I think as a general rule of thumb I, I do try to eat complete meals so I, I I I try to have my protein I try to have um, my carbs I try to have kind of my vegetables my um, you know antioxidants different things like that and 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 I think that's the general rule of thumb of of how, how I eat in general, but specifically, especially around, uh, around tournaments. Um, but I, you know, I, again, when a tournament is finished or if I've had a really big day, a pizza might might pop, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. might, yeah. might pop up i don't know it might pop up i can't i can't <laughs> confirm nor deny <laughs>
1: do you um have a natural um instinct for nutrition or do you work closely with sports nutritionists do you have is, is there a nutritionist is part of your team so we do
2: have a um a, th- yeah no i do work with someone who who i bounce ideas yeah. off who i look for guidance from um you know i think uh you know, as you get older, as well, you know, I think there's different challenges. I've even noticed with with me as I'm I'm 29, turning 30 mm. this year, my body doesn't react the same to food as it did when I was in my early 20s. Yep. Like, you know, it, it, there's definitely different habits and and different ways that my body reacts to food, and so I I, I am trying to stay very in what way? Sorry, well, if you don't mind. No, no, it's I feel there. like I actually feel like that I don't burn um food as quickly. I don't burn calories mm. as quickly. Um, I think the stresses of life are a bit different as well. So I am conscious to also just say like, you know, how do I need to eat this? Or why am I eating this or or things like that? I think, you know, food is a, is a very big part of life and, and maintaining a good relationship with it. I think it's important for your own future kind of thing. So, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with emotional eating sometimes because it happens it, it happens you know, and that 's what mm. it is, but I think recognizing why you 're eating when you 're eating and, and and maintaining a good relationship with that, I think kind of lends itself to just um, keeping that good relationship with food kind of through your whole life and so however silly it may sound, I do believe the intention you eat your food with is a big part of, of how your body then absorbs it and how your mind then kind of uses that because I think if you feel bad about eating certain things I think they have a bigger effect on you than you know what saying like oh i really enjoyed that you know I've really enjoyed that and I'm going to move on and and and, and I'm, I might eat something different tomorrow or you know later today but I think having kind of a, a the kind of mindset that is positive around what you're doing I think definitely helps in in digesting things better in, in, in being able to then make good choices as well. And, and, and things like that, I think, um, yeah, feeling bad about what you're eating. I think, you know, it, it's a slippery slope, not that there's, there's Mm. also a place for that as well, because that also, you know, can correct us in a a path that we're on if we're not happy being on it. Um, but Mm. I think just being forgiving and kind to yourself is very important when it comes to food.
0: Are there any foods or eating memories that are particularly tied to like a moment of triumph for you or of happy memory on the court or even something that, you know, soothed you after you were disappointed in a match?
2: You know what? I think my biggest food memories are always tied to family mm-hmm. Um you know, I have very good memories, obviously, like I mentioned in 2019, going to try different restaurants or um, I have very good memories about that. But I think the strongest memories for me are definitely tied with family, are tied to when I used to visit my grandmother and I would be there with my sister and my cousins. And I'd be I'd be in her kitchen kind of licking, licking the spoon that she was, you know, making the batter for for, for the cake <laughs> or I'd be there, you know, we'd be there helping her with um I mean, not really helping would just be there, just eating, mm-hmm. really, and just just being in the way. I think generally, I don't think we were helping. You're watching. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, that yes. sounds that sounds familiar from my uh, attempt to uh, cook <laughs> inverted commas with my kids.
2: Exactly, exactly. I'm like, I, she was told I was helpful, but I don't think I was. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, and and same thing with my mum. You know, um, she also would make my my favourite things when it came to some of the, my favourite Hungarian things, which were a bit like in Australia so there was um a in Hungary during the summer months you usually there's usually available kind of like a fruit soup or like a, a sour cherry soup um which I absolutely love and so my mum would make that for me usually for Christmas because it was the sum, you know summer in Australia for Christmas and she's even made it for Christmas at home in the UK um, but yeah and, and that's again it's just family it's just the smell of it it's it's togetherness it's um, yeah so for me my strongest food memories are definitely tied with family
0: You mentioned your parents um, in terms of watching you do they get as wrapped up in the action do they get as stressed do they kind of hit every ball like how how close are they to your, to your career because obviously it was a huge sacrifice for the family and you know relocating and you know it was kind of you were all in it together really
2: Yes no for sure I mean you know, I think as as the years have gone and as time has gone, obviously their involvement in my tennis has had to adapt and change with it. Um, you know, I, I turned 30 this year. I My my setup with my team is very different than, you know, when I was a young girl. When we first, you know, moved from Australia, I was 14 years old and, and they were very much funding my tennis still. They were very much trying to guide me on my journey and, and slowly as is normal and as is a natural progression with kind of, I guess any child leaving the nest, so to speak, you know, I I've, I had to take ownership and, and control over my own, my own business, my own journey. And, and I think they've kind of been on that, on that process and on that progression with me. Um, so I wouldn't say they are as involved or in the same way, but I think, They are as invested emotionally and as supportive Mm. of me, most importantly, as supportive of me as ever.
0: You mentioned uh, stresses a little while back, and this has been such a challenging period, particularly as a tennis player, when you're used to traveling the world. And I can't imagine what that must have been like when everything stopped, not just for you, but for your team. and You've talked about this bubble throughout and the idea of bubbles existing long before they entered the sort of popular usage um, in this past year. How have you coped through all that? What are your kind of memories of having that battle, really?
2: I mean, it, it's very funny. You mentioned bubble. It, it is very true. The meaning of bubble has taken on a very different meaning from, you know, mm. pre COVID to now with COVID and post COVID. I think it's a very different meaning. Um, but for sure, you know, I think. I think this was definitely not 100% not specific to tennis players I think athletes in a lot of different professions I think there was a mm. period where you lost your purpose a bit you lost your place mm. and, and I think a lot of people would have really struggled with finding a routine finding a a purpose to and also almost still keeping in mind there is there is an end to this there is an end goal there is there is something that is going to come after this. This is not permanent. And for sure, as an athlete, as a tennis player, um, you know, we, we train to compete, we train to perform. And so when you take away that, that ability to compete, ability to perform it, it it, it doesn't leave us with much, you know, it's a bit of limbo state, like, what am I training for? And then add in the, (laughs) in the environment that you know you can't really train <laughs> i was training in my living room for 9 weeks and you, you don't have access to equipment that you need to keep your body at, at at a state that it it requires to be able to perform it's tricky and you know it it, it, it definitely tests your resolve and it and it tests your ability to stay present and and um and to keep a perspective and a big picture you know there was a lot of things going on in the world at that time which warranted a lot more attention and and a, a lot more a lot more sympathy than you know a poor tennis player can't do her leg press <clears throat> you know <laughs> you know you know so you know keep, keep keeping things in, in in perspective a little bit mm, um completely. but for sure you know it, as from my own personal experience and in a very selfish way for me, you know, that was a very difficult period for me to be able mm. to, to just keep an, keep a light mind, to be able to wake up each day and, you know, prepare to just do my kind of two to three hour training session in my living room and, you know, put out the, the things that I had, pack them away. And, and <laughs> it, it was, it was monotonous, it was draining yeah. and, and it yeah. was very difficult. Um, but I do have to say that when, um, Restrictions start, started to ease a little bit. And went, once we got to a point where elite sport got those exemptions to be able to mm. open up their training centers and allow athletes back, we were one of um, our tennis variation was one of the places that was able to do that. So I remember, I think it's about nine weeks after lockdown. So it would have been, I guess it was kind of late May mm. um, so mm. at some yeah. point like that, um, stepping on court and hitting for the first time. Oh, that was, and I think, it, you know, I don't know if you remember, but the weather was amazing, yeah. kind of April, <laughs> wow. May. It yeah. was like, and I was like, oh my gosh, I've never felt so alive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's so, incredible. Yeah, so, yeah.
2: Yeah. So that was, that was, um, that was a really nice experience for me to have that kind of feeling of, you know what, I really love what I do. I love playing tennis yeah. and just to have that back.
0: In terms of the kind of mental robustness as well, that it seems like you need to have to not just, be an elite athlete but particularly in tennis like there's something about the focus and as you say it's a skill-based mm. thing and those abilities can seem to desert you suddenly if you're panicked um is that something that you that you can learn do you feel like you've always naturally been that kind of character like from when you were younger have you been quite confident and driven
2: um I think I've I've always had the characteristics of being driven of being hardworking. Um, I think I get that a lot from my dad, especially. I think he, he's very much a workhorse in the family. And I I think I, I did get a lot of that from him. And I obviously growing up with my parents, you, you take on, you take on hopefully the best parts of them and like they like to think and leave, leave, leave the worst parts off. Um, so, yeah, no, I had that was, I think, part of my base. I think for me, um, confidence, I, I wouldn't say necessarily that was massively my strong suit. I think I, I, I think I always had a general, um, I think a a general kind of peace of with who I was. I, I never wanted to be anyone other than who I am. Um, I think that obviously wavers and it, it, it goes kind of like this, as you go through puberty, as you go through different, you know, things in life where you do question things. But I think I, I did have a very strong base in, this is who I am, and this is who I ever am going to be. But I would 100% say that I would have not been called mentally strong, or I would have not been called mentally robust when I was younger. You know, I, I, I definitely think that was something I had to find a way to bring to the forefront, not that I wasn't strong, but I, or what it means to be strong. I think, you know, that's a a very broad um, conversation of what it means to be mentally strong. But I think for my profession and what I was trying to do, I, 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 it took me a long time to find that space mm-hmm. to be mm. able to um, cope with what I needed to cope on court with.
1: You were in the 2020 Celebrity Great British Bake Off. How did you cope with the stress of being under Prue and Paul's gaze? I'm not sure I coped, to be honest. (laughs) Was it worse (laughs) being in the than
2: on the court? 100% it was, because if you think about it, you know, when it came to a tennis court, I've been spending time on a tennis court for, Mm. you know, for over two decades now. And I've never been in a Bake Off tent in my life. Um, And i i was very nervous i was very nervous and i'm pretty sure you can probably see clips of me like with like massive sweat patches just because (laughs) i'm like i am i am i am like so much performance anxiety here like i don't even know what to do with myself um and it was two it was honestly two of one of the like some of the two best days of my life um It was incredible. It was such a good experience. It was it was for such a great cause. And interestingly, I had to also keep perspective there because I had to remind myself why I'm there. I'm there to support a great cause, a really important cause, not to prove how good I am in at baking. You know, like like okay, you know, like just take a step back here. You know, it's it's not a big deal if my sausage dog cake happens to be the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's fine. (laughs) Um, although when Paul Hollywood said that it tasted good, I was like, oh, thank God.
1: (laughs) It's better how it tastes tastes good than looks good.
2: Exactly. That's what I told myself as well. So I was like, you know what? It's fine. It tastes good. Decorating has never been my strength. Arts and crafts, never been my strength. It's fine. It's got substance. I'm happy.
0: (laughs) So Johanna, obviously uh, you represent Britain, and this is your home. There's been a lot of debate throughout your career as Britain versus Australia. The only question that matters is Vegemite. Or marmite, do you have a preference?
2: My preference is neither. <laughs> never ne- never, never ever will you ever find either of them in my cupboard. Um and every time I go back to Australia and I spend time with my nephews and my my sister likes it, my brother-in-law likes it, and my nephews usually have some uh, have some vegemite with some um avocado and toast, and I just I I look at them and I'm like if I weren't related to you, I'd be judging you a lot like that.
0: <laughs> so, what, so what do you spread on your toast then?
2: I love butter on toast. Mm. I, I Just butter? Just butter. Yeah, I love butter on toast. It's such a comforting taste for me. I don't know. I, mm. I always have just probably more butter than it needs, but just some good fresh bread toasted with butter on top and a cup of tea and I'm actually fine.
0: Fantastic. Johanna Konta, thank you so much for your openness and your warmth and for the unbelievable insight you've given us into what it's like to be an elite athlete. Um, We've loved having you here. And uh, I think you've definitely put us in the mood for some warming Hungarian food. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You've been listening to Life on a Plate from Waitrose. I'm Jimmy Famarewa. Thank you to my co-host, Alison Okavy, and our guest, Johanna Konta. To learn more about the series, go to waitrose.com forward slash podcast, and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.